Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, Chris Licht is out. The CNN boss ends a calamitous month with an embarrassing expose. We discuss what went wrong. Also on the programme, the Telegraph is up for sale. But why? And who might be in the running to grab it? All that plus Spotify announces more staff cuts. The EU tackles AI. And in the Media Quiz, we learn who's going green. That's all to come on this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Prince Harry gave evidence at the High Court in the phone hacking case against the Mirror Group newspapers. Uh, The Duke of Sussex spent eight hours in the witness box as one of four people due to testify on behalf of over 100 plaintiffs. And this may not be the end. He could be back in the court if separate claims against the owners of The Sun and The Daily Mail go ahead. Across the pond, the WGA strikes rumbled on this week, this time with Apple being the target. Writers and their celebrity friends were out in force, flyering at Apple stores and picketing Apple HQ in California. Although not causing quite enough noise to detract from the launch of Apple's new Vision Pro mixed reality headset. Now joining me from the beating heart of Hoburn here at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back Managing Director of Goldwaller, Faraz Osman. Hello. Hello. How how are you? (laughs) I'm excellent. Yourself? I feel that's how I should start every conversation now. How how are you? Well, that's always the stuff that we edit out in radio. So (laughs) It made it into Holly's speech, so I feel it should start this as well. Culture Secretary uh, Lucy Fraser Hmm. um, this week claimed that the BBC is on occasion biased. Do you agree with Lucy Fraser? The bias thing's really... I think the bias thing's really weird, right? Because it's it's presented as an absolute. So, like, there's a goal that you can mm. achieve, which means that you are suddenly unbiased, which is obviously ludicrous. Like, bias is an experiment. So, like, you, you know, and, and how you see bias is... is comes to you as an individual and when you're doing broadcasting I think it might, surely it's impossible to be unbiased in broadcasting because it completely depends who's consuming it. My, my view on this is, is actually if a culture secretary from a political party goes in front of a select committee and says the BBC is unbiased I would argue that's a bit of a bigger problem hmm. because you know they are a culture secretary of a political party they are biased and I think that the fact that you have to ask, ask the question of the BBC is probably a good thing. If you ask the question of say a particular newspaper you probably know if they're left leaning or right leaning if you ask it about certain new news channels that have sprang up in the last few years not news channels know. not news channels entertainment news channel, whatever they're called these days but you kind of know if they're left leaning or, or individuals for that matter yes but as a corporation if you're asking the question is is that corporation unbiased and you don't know the answer straight away that's probably a good thing but right? when she was pushed for an example she couldn't give any yeah i mean 
I, actually, I think I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually think that she handled herself quite well in a quite balanced way, which is ironic, weirdly. Is it just that the, the the bar for culture secretaries is so low that no, anybody I, could do a good job? No, I think what I think what the problem is is that if you ask a culture secretary, do you think the BBC is biased? And then they say yes, and then they say because of this Gary Lineker thing or whatever, mm. that then becomes a a thing that everyone starts worrying about and they're like oh we need to do something about this because the culture secretary said this so I think that it was a bit of a trap that was laid and there was no right answer that she should give but I think the the, the reality is, is that I'm less interested about whether or not she thinks the BBC is biased mm. I'm more interested in knowing if she's going to do anything about it so she said yes I think the BBC is biased and as a result I think XYZ changes need to be made that her previous um person the, the alumni yes. of that of that uh, role had previously then that was problematic but I, I didn't get a sense of that from from this select committee so I, I think it's a it's a bit of a non-story yes um but I, and I actually think it's quite a good answer from her and gives me a little bit of comfort that yes she thinks the BBC is biased of course she does she's a Tory she should think the BBC is biased <laughs> like but she's not planning to do anything about it so we're, we're all good well also joining us uh, making her media podcast debut is broadcast reporter Ellie Khan hi Ellie hi Matt thanks for having me no worries we love that you're here what do you make of that story um, the BBC is very aware of its own bias and it's actively trying to tackle it. It's, it's currently on uh, the second of a series of thematic reviews looking to, to sort of weed out where it's going wrong with impartiality. Um, and but, I mean, if you look at Ofcom, because Ofcom's the adjudicate on the BBC's biases, and there, there's been some that's upheld, but it's kind of like a handful, isn't it? It's like yeah. every so often mm-hmm. there's something that it's gone a bit too far, or there wasn't quite the, the right combination of people in the in the newsroom or on, or on that program. Yeah, yeah, completely. I, I think what's happened, and um, um, I, I agree with something that Nick Robinson, BBC uh, veteran journalist, said uh, today, um, in that the goalposts have kind of shifted with. with without anyone really being aware of it. He said that uh, the rules have changed um, sort of secretly and, and Ofcom sort of allowed it. And this is this is not to do with the BBC. Mm. This is to do with GB News, mm. the, the like, where, where politicians are sort of allowed to, to, to come and, and interview their own and um, make very, very impartial statements. And it's sort of being often allowed to slide. So he's sort of saying, we're, we're operating in a completely different environment. We need to address it. But that's that's something that feels like it's been pioneered by radio, right? So LBC doing mm. all of those shows where they had you got Nick Ferrari that's more right. You got but not just that, but you had politicians yes. that were doing shows like mm. you know, and and I think LBC did a pretty good job of having that balance. And then kind of GB News has taken that and kind of going, oh, well, just get rid of the balance bit, but have all the politicians interviewing their their mates, etc. I think and for, for those channels, it's easier for them to get away with it, even if they are getting away with it according to Ofcom's rules, because they're more minority channels, yeah. and it's not like it's it's that everyone sees it and suddenly notices and points. Yeah, but I think the the, the wider issue is is that like the opinionation of is that what that's, that's it I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna like yeah, I love but, it. Like, as we're love doing it. on this show, like we're we're giving opinions, but you know I'm not an impartiality lawyer or a kind of you know I'm you know I'm just giving my opinion on, on a particular story that creep has started to happen in but that's okay because I, I can give balance the other way and that's that's the difference isn't like it's fine for you to say that it's fine for you to, to argue that um, the BBC is imbalanced and I can say well some would argue the other way but where it becomes tricky is that when you have subjects like climate change or Brexit or vaccines where you have 
we, where the balance is like, well, do you have one person on each side of the debate or do you have 10 economists that believe one thing because it's 10 to one and one economist believing something else or 10 scientists believing that climate change is real and an issue and one outlier saying it's not or do you just have one of each? What is What does balance look like? And I think that's the struggle because mm. we want both sides of the coin, but that's not necessarily representative of, of what the argument is. And, and like I said, I just think it's an experiment and we should just continue to scrutinise it because if we got to the end and said, oh, suddenly the BBC is impartial, that to me is just mm. a bit weird. I was reading this week about Channel 4 making uh, further programming cuts, this time to Kirsty Allsop's daytime series and the last legs lost some eps as well. Um, how would you say Channel 4 are managing their financial difficulties? They're experiencing some some serious financial woes, but they are sort of doing this salami slicing thing. Um, this is the second and third um, in, in, a, in what we assume is going to be a series of, of cuts. Um, the last leg, really interesting. It's it's one of their staple shows. 10 p.m. It gets about a million viewers a week, and it, it and does really down well. Down from nine eps down to seven. Down from nine to seven. Mm. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but I think it probably is mm. uh, compared to something like Kirsty's Handmade Christmas, which gets decent views every year in December in in, in the daytime slot. Some of the independent production companies have been a little grumpy about this, mm. and sort of the risk has been pushed to them away from from Channel 4. It's up to the Last Legs producer to basically deal with Channel 4's uh, loss of income. Yeah, we've heard sort of anecdotally that there have been grumpy um, producers, grumpy crew left sort of high and dry in those last two episodes of of The Last Leg. Um, In general, indies are very, very worried. They are sort of being asked to to finance um, their own shows, which isn't necessarily unusual for a channel like ITV, but for Channel 4 it's unheard of. And um, worrying for, for for a lot of indies they're they're very concerned and, and lots of shows also being pushed next year for as you run an indie uh, are these sort of surprise these cuts come quite late in the production process aren't they so a lot of people thought they they got they got a nine show commission and built their program around that and then suddenly they found well not just their program their, their company and, mm. and and it's not just the companies but it's also the freelancers they get employed by those companies. I think the show that got that got decommissioned or cancelled or not greenlit, red lit, amber lit, I don't know what they call it now. What do they call we're it? Ju- we're talking about Four Weddings. We're talking about Four Weddings yeah. on E4. The, the reboot, yeah. So what, what was it called? Was it what, called Cancelled? What did we say Cancelled? It was, yeah. Uh, whatever their line is. That was in production. Yeah, yeah. And all of those freelancers got two weeks notice. And then, and then a few days later, we had this, what I think is a ridiculous story about the retention bonuses that everyone at Channel 4 is being paid. And I think that... Many of which they've deferred now. Well, my understanding is, is that the, the top three heads of, yep, uh, have, have deferred it. I don't know if the yeah. commissioning editors and the heads of the department who have to have deferred it as well. And I think if you're a freelancer, particularly if you're a junior freelancer, and you've been given two weeks notice on a job that you thought you had eight months on, mm. and, and that's just gone in a, in a really difficult climate, and then you pick up the paper and you read a story about how the people that have decommissioned that show have been given a bonus, some of which they deserve yep. it because they've done a really interesting job and decent job for the past few years, but that's a retention bonus. They've been given reward for not leaving their jobs. It it kind of is pretty tone deaf. And, and I think that we have to remember that, and Channel 4 have to remember, that they don't make any of their own shows. It is all mm. independent production companies of many different sizes. Some are truly independent and, and fairly small like mine. Some are mammoth and actually mm. bigger than the balance sheet of Channel 4 itself. But we're, we're all independent companies and we all have to run our cash flow and I think it, it would be similarly scandalous if I turned around and as a 
as a producer running a small company and just called up one of my suppliers and said, oh, sorry, that guaranteed work that you had for a year, we're pulling it because we didn't run our figures properly. Worth mentioning also that uh, Channel 4's strategy director uh, appeared before MPs this week and talked about this. He addressed this saying they're facing short-term market pressures, but he did also mention um, the, the channels in strong creative health was his quote. So um, they're, 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 well, they're sort of looking in the long they're term. They're hoping for like a quick return, aren't they? Yeah. Normality. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Yes. But to be clear, I don't besmirch Channel 4 and giving their employees bonuses if that's the reason why people have signed Absolutely, contracts. Yeah. I've got no issue with that. I think that that's a fairly decent thing to do and we should retain staff and talent in any way that we can. What I take exception to is this giving younger freelancers two weeks notice on a fairly long running job. And I think that that could have been handled in a much better way. Not commissioning a show like Kirsty or you know, slimming down the next commission of Last Leg to lesser episodes than before. Again, you can then plan for that and you can decide how you employ people and, and that's how the market works. I'm a, it's not great, but you know, it's the ebb and flow of, of creativity in the production sector. But, but telling young people, and in fact all people, mm. that you have a guaranteed job for what, eight months, and then telling them that they only have two weeks, I think it's pretty scandalous. Not good. Well, someone at the top who has lost their job is CNN uh, chairman and CEO Chris Licht. Um, following a mixed response uh, to his changes and some poor PR choices, he was uh, dispatched uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Ellie, what led to Mr. Licht's downfall? There was a, um, a 15,000 word profile written on Chris Licht and it was sort of um, the, the, the main thrust of this was uh, off the back of this um, tr- town hall that CNN did with, with Donald Trump and um, Chris Licht supposedly, according to the profile, filled the room with extra Trumpy people and sort of diehard Trump fans. And it was, it did make for really uncomfortable viewing. If you, if you look at the, the sort of highlights of it, it, there are some moments that are really, really uncomfortable and, um, it angered a lot of people. Caitlin Collins, who was hosting that somewhat under the bus because she had to yeah. deal with it, uh, on her own. Uh, the the piece did. you talk about, this was in the Atlantic. It was a, a big, long, a big, long piece. Yeah. Um, it sort of pushed him, pushed it over the edge really for him. I think it, it yeah, I think it was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. He, he, uh, he had to sort of come out and apologize a few days after it was, um, published, apologised directly to staff, who he had already angered by mm. all accounts. So, uh, yeah, he's completely lost the dressing room. The the, the, the chief, um, Zaslav, didn't didn't say it specifically because of this article, but, wow, imagine the, the power of being able to, to write an article that, that really has has that has that impact. I mean, he has to take some of the blame as well. I mean, he said, this is the, the chairman of, or the chief executive of Warner Brothers Discovery, who owned CNN. Uh, he said that... Uh, he took responsibility he did, for yeah. this yeah. and really he should do because apart and you read if you read this Atlantic piece basically Zaz was always on the phone to Chris Licht and was very much pushing him to deliver his own vision uh, which sort of drew a wedge between him and the staff it's a really difficult job firstly I think also the reality is, is that the, the decisions that he made didn't rate yes. right I think that like you know I PVR the Donald Trump town hall because I'm a bit like we're back to the, the, the nonsense and the chaos and the soap opera but after about five minutes of watching it you're just a bit like oh I'm just fatigued with this mm. and I'm bored of it you know as um, we, ratings wise it did okay but, it, n- but it n- wasn't nothing like it did in the past and I think that when you start seeing figures like Newsmax is beating CNN mm. on occasion you've got to start asking questions mm. if CNN went through this decision 
brilliant and it, it worked for them, then I think everyone will be calling him an absolute genius. Well, this, this is what a lot of people think, that the, the profile, if it had matched an upward trend, would have been a great profile. Uh, but right. unfortunately, he'd stepped on a number of uh, uh, landmines before, before it came out. But, but, but to say... That some of you know they are some of them are landmines. Some of them are of his own making. The, the channel has got a weirder tone now because it is trying to be a bit more right, and I don't really. Or is it trying to be a bit more centrist? Well, I don't think it is trying to be a bit more centrist because I think that it's trying to pander to you know the the centre the, cent the right of the political spectrum in America has moved so right that like the whole kind of whole Overton window thing. It means that you then start having to platform you know January 6th deniers yes. and you know and, and all this and it's a bit like that's not about moving to the center or it is actually even more problematic the issue is is that can you have center news in America mm. and in the same way that can you have a center newspaper in the UK the answer is probably as we're discovering no well, or you can there's just no viewers for it there's, there's no, there's no one passionate enough to watch exactly. a channel without a, a left or a right view I think his remit was to push it to the centre and it seems like he's gone against that completely. Um, that moment when Trump completely demeaned, it was the day after he, got, he was found guilty by a jury of, of sexually abusing the writer E. Jean Carroll and he made fun of it and, and the, the room went wild, the room loved it. And that's that's not a, that's not a centre. But I, I would argue that town halls are they're a very American thing. We don't really have them mm. here. They've tried them in the UK. But but I do think that when you have a town hall, you kind of let the speaker hang themselves, and you you kind of let the audience see and decide and and make comments like this. I think that you know some pushback is necessary, but town halls are, are meant to be a, a forum to allow people to say these things. You know the Nikki Haley one, which didn't get anywhere near as many viewers, but was interesting. She said some ludicrous and audacious mm. things. Do I think that she should have been push back on them you could argue that but the reality is is that you need to hear them say that so you understand that you know Nikki Haley might be transphobic or has an issue around has a uh, an opinion around abortion and she will sign a, as a um, a federal law around it you you need the voters to be able to hear that so they can make up their minds I don't know if it is for the the, the anchors of those town halls to kind of go well I think you're wrong um, because that's not really what those forums are for. But either way, it's it's not rating. It's not worked. Something mm. needs to happen. Um, and I think it would be a real shame if CNN continues to slide because it's an important broadcaster. Well, it's interesting. I mean, all the news channels, MSNBC, CNN and Fox in America, make all their money from cable subscriptions. So it doesn't matter so much where your ratings are. As long as you get the cash from the cable companies, it's okay. Uh, but that's under a lot of threat with people kind of cord cutting. So obviously it's a race for ratings, but also a race to keep your business model intact, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think the CNN business model is an international one, right? Um, it's quite interesting. I've been watching a lot of the coverage around the whole Live Golf PGA Tour mm. like merger, and there's been a lot of, uh, particularly from Jake Tapper, who's been kind of going, "This is outrageous," and you know, and and it, it is outrageous. The PGA Tour went on record and saying that we, we think that you know the Saudis and Live Golf is something that we really, and then suddenly they kind of have a massive three sixty about turn. Mm. But if you watch CNN internationally. All the adverts in the brake bumpers are all Qatar. They're all, you know, there's a lot of Saudi adverts within it. They're taking a lot of that coin from the very same places they're criticising. And there's a little well. bit of golf too. Uh, you, said, you said earlier about uh, newspapers and here in the UK, the Telegraph uh, is at risk of falling into administration. Well, sort of it has fallen into administration now following a court battle between the paper's owners, the Barclay brothers. Uh, whilst reporting on the development has been branded irresponsible by the Barclay family, uh, the papers are going to be sold along with the Spectator. Ellie, would you fancy buying a national newspaper? 
Uh, About 600 million for these? Yeah, go on. I mean, if I was to buy it, it would be purely out of interest in the tradition and the um, the history that the paper carries. It would be like, you know, it's an institution. It'd be like buying John Lewis or something. It's That's the, where the sort of priceless value, I think, lies. I mean, for us, is that the likely buyer, someone who is maybe right wing and just wants to carry on that tradition rather than someone that wants to build a, a modern media business? Or are you going to see DMGT or um, uh, Irish or European media company? I, I think... I'm going to say Lebedev, and I'm not saying okay. he's necessarily going to be a buyer, but I think it was interesting when he bought the Evening Standard and uh, and what that meant for him as a person. And there's obviously news stories about Lebedev that, that are coming out now, particularly with what's happening in Europe. And, and I think that the Telegraph in the last few years has moved from being a bit a paper of record to being a mouthpiece for the party that's currently in power and, and a spectator by by extension. So I think that if you want to get close to the current cabinet and the previous cabinet, or you want to get close to what the Tory party might turn into, then it would probably be quite a sensible buy and maybe more sensible than, than cutting a cheque for uh, for a donation to that party. And I think that the buyers that are circling around it will probably be looking at it for its power and influence. Uh, more from Ellen Faraz next after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And Elian Ferres are back with me for part two of the media podcast. Time for some news in brief. Spotify are cutting 200 jobs uh, from their podcast section, uh, combining Parcast and Gimlet into their already existing Spotify studios and shifting focus to Spotify for podcasters. Um, for as Spotify acquired the studios in 2019, it really kind of kicks off their big push into podcasting. Um, but now it seems to have sort of fallen apart a little bit where what's gone wrong with their strategy or has anything gone wrong i don't i actually don't think that anything has necessarily gone wrong it's this isn't a huge surprise to me why not i think it's i think it's a shame that they're always always it's a shame that they cut staff i think that that's you know it's ruthless and um yeah p- people who can do that have got more uh 
I say confidence, confidence. I, you know, I, it's not something that I could imagine getting on a Zoom call and saying you've mm. all lost your jobs. But 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 away from that, the the podcast strategy and getting deep into it. I think that we've got to remember that companies like Spotify are tech companies, mm. and they put these out in these plays, and they kind of see podcasting, and they're like, it seems to be like a growing market. Let's make sure that we cover our terrain about it. If it grows, continues to grow in this way, then great, we've got our foot in. It's it reminds me a little bit of the smartphone boom, right? So when Microsoft were a massive company and they missed the move to mobile, that's always a fear that a lot of tech companies have got, that they'll miss the next thing. And it felt like in audio, podcasting was going to be the next thing after music. It does feel like it slowed down slightly. I think it was probably, there was too much content, too many podcasts and and a lot of... um, uh, a lot of listeners got a bit of fatigue um, and podcasts, so they back from very day. <laughs> yeah well no but, I, but it's, it's just there's too much choice in the same way that we're seeing the there's same thing choice, in television yeah. you know and, and there being a pullback in, in the television space and the streamer space it, it doesn't surprise me that's been mirrored in, in the podcasting and on-demand audio space as well Ellie Spotify sort of talk about uh, creators being a big focus for them and mm-hmm. some of their deals rather than making stuff themselves has been with the sort of Joe Rogans of the world even the Obamas signing them up uh, and now obviously supporting other creators sort of a bit like YouTube uh, is that a better a better thing for them to be doing than making their they, own shows uh, you, I'd I don't know if it's a better thing. They've they've invested a lot of money on some 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 big bets. Meghan Markle also being one of them. Her mm. her podcast has sort of steadily fallen down the charts. Um, yeah, I th- I think th- they bet big on on some original programming, and perhaps that hasn't quite paid off. Um, I think it's I think it's the probably it needed to happen that they that they were going to row back but sad that it's off the back of, of of a series of other cuts earlier this year as well yes i mean for us is it is the truth really that basically gimlet's ran out of creative steam oh that's a bit unfair maybe i mean gimlet had had their issues and mm. i think that they had some internal issues that they had to deal with. Um, I mean, Gim- Gimlet staff would say that they, they weren't supported marketing-wise by Spotify and they didn't get all the, the goodness that, that, that they were promised. But it's part of the problem is that in a hits business, if you don't make the hits, then you're going to be on your way out. Yeah, I, look, I think that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think that when you launch something new, the only way that you can make noise about it is to acquire lots of things, talent and companies that people know, um, and, and then slowly start to find the hits along the way. So I think Ellie's absolutely right with the Meghan Markle piece and you mentioned the Obamas. But if I if you look at Apple's strategy, for instance, when they launched Apple TV+, Plus, they launched it with all these huge names and this like, you know, this nonstop roster of everybody that's ever famous in any, <laughs> you know, it was, it was almost like ludicrous. But actually the hits have been Ted Lasso and they've been Severance and they've been actually shows that don't, actually have these massive stars but you need to get to that point and it doesn't feel like Spotify have had a podcast so they bought in lots of stuff and they've acquired lots of stuff but they don't they haven't kind of really started building their own this is what the Spotify podcast tone is and this is what you get if you listen to it there really people still know Spotify for a place to to listen to the latest Taylor Swift album uh, well maybe the solution is just AI and just getting somebody else just getting the computer to make the podcast but well there's, some, new, uh, there's some news this week that the EU has urged social media companies to immediately start labelling AI generated content in a bid to contain the spread of misinformation from Russia um, I mean Ellie Twitter aren't I don't think a part of EU's voluntary code anymore and getting Elon to do anything yeah, they've, is, they've left. is pretty mm. difficult mm. Um, uh do you think it's going to be? Do you think we'll see this work for for social media companies doing what the EU wants them to do? 
I think what's interesting here is this is off the back of a lot of discourse about worries about AI, um, you know, high profile tech people coming out, Elon Musk, people who loved AI up until now and <laughs> saying it's, you know, we, we need to we need to pause this. It's dangerous. Um, lots of caution. So one of the problems is that there's big fines for some of these social media companies, up to 6% of their global revenues. For Twitter, that could be about 140 million quid. It's a lot to... Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, I think, you know, this this is such a complex area. And I think the issue that uh, these companies might be facing is the fact that the technology is moving so quickly. It's so hard to define uh, the, the threat that AI poses by definition because AI is, you know, ever, ever learning and ever moving and ever shifting. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, a tricky one. Uh, for us, at least right, isn't she? Because we're still sort of at the foothills of AI. It's still really early days. Is legislation, everyone says there must be legislation for it, but are they legislating for the wrong thing? I think this story is hilarious, right? Because if you run an AI company and you make AI content, and then somebody says to you, you need to mark your AI content as being made by AI, how do you think they're going to do that? They're going to get AI to do it, right? (laughs) So they're going to build an AI bot to check its own homework. Mm. And that is... I pretty sure the beginning of how Terminator started (laughs) right so when you've got like an AI algorithm checking another AI algorithm Mm -hmm. like it's it is you know it's just just hilarious to me I just don't understand like where where that begins and ends but what I think is happening and what I'd like to see happening and I do think it's it's interesting that you've got the biggest companies Google Microsoft getting in on this space is that there will be a kind of standardization this is a, a poor example but in the same way that in television you have a product placement logo that there will start to be a standardization for consumers and audiences to know but the, but the question around you know writing articles or coming up with titles for shows or writing some vo or mm. whatever that might be there, there is an issue around staffing around that and and are we losing it you know are we getting people the machines to do that rather than stuff i saw a hilarious thing where like a fast food restaurant is turning their their kiosks that you go through drive throughs into AI bots and it gives you an instruction if you want to talk to a human being and say this word and it will revert you back. That's all going to ha- start happening. I remember the days when you would book cinema tickets via the phone and that was all done via AI and say one to do this and two. We're kind of in that world right now. But for, for you, for, for one of your shows, if there was, a, sorry, if there was, a, for one of your shows, if there was still a bit of AI just used in the production of it, you wouldn't want to put a little AI in a circle on the, the credits, would you? Well, I'll give you a better example. If we have a if we have a still, and in that still is a piece of a piece of footage, or not even a still. If we have a shot, and in the background of that shot is an art bit of artwork that we can't clear, what is traditionally done is that it's blurred, right? Now, is it right or wrong for me to kind of go, well, let's just get let's just remove it, right? Because it's it's a better experience for the audience because it's gone and it's not distracting, it's not blurred. It's, it's not doing anything that we haven't done before because we've always masked it because it's not cleared. Is it then coming, is it then not real? For me, so long as the story and the content continues to be what it's meant to be, that's fine. If we start yeah. making things up, as in like, this person didn't say this, or this didn't happen, or this picture isn't real, then yes, that should be marked. But one but, thing you can do, and probably for both your organisations, you could ask Midjourney to generate a picture of Matt Hancock um, to illustrate a story. Uh, and that's, you know, an addition. It's not really right. changing anything. It's 
but again, I saw Sky. I was watching Sky News last night, and they did a hilarious reconstruction of Prince Harry in his courtroom, giving his, you know, saying because they couldn't get the footage inside the cameras inside the courtroom, they do this wild thing where they get an actor pretending to be Prince Harry reading out what he said in Prince Harry's weird accent. Sorry, the actor's weird accent, not Prince Harry's. <laughs> well, maybe but, but <laughs> a bit, bit of both, but. It's got reconstruction in the top right-hand mm. corner. And the audience accepts yeah. that and kind of goes, yeah. well, I know why you're doing this. And I think that as editorial, we just need to ask the question, well, why are we doing this? We're doing this because we can't get cameras in the courtroom. So as mm. a result, we've reconstructed it in AI. So, yeah, there was a similar example, um, which actually used AI. Uh, the BBC did a, a programme about um, going inside the, the AA. And in order to preserve the identities, safeguard the identities of, of those the people they were speaking to, they um, superimposed uh, faces over the top of, 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 the, of the interviewees. And they it had to clearly label every time that happened because it looked really realistic mm. you couldn't really tell and um, so that was a good example of how I, I think was used positively to, to send a good message and to do a good thing on TV and um, marked and marked very clearly sense. marked they were they were adamant about that uh, well something that AI will never take on is the media quiz uh, this week it's entitled greener or not so green greener or not so green i'll name a company with a media profile you just tell me uh if this week they are greener or not so green <laughs> easy sorted if do, we, think, do we jump in listen, do you we should do? have got well, chat gpt to write this script for you and it would have been clear it would have been cleaner <laughs> well ellie if you want to play just buzz in with your name so uh faraz you'd say faraz and ellie you'll say ellie here we go question number one greener or not so green for radio caroline Ellie. Ellie. Uh, they're greener. They are greener. They've gone green. They've gone solar powered. Radio Caroline is, is such an interesting um, uh, thing at the moment. It's it's the radio that inspired the amazing film, The Boat That Rocked, <laughs> Bill Nye and Nick Frost. Um, but they're, they're, it's it's a lovely thing that's happening at the moment. They... Um, they are crowdfunding at the moment to save the uh, the Ross Revenge, which is that boat which the, um, the 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 Radio Caroline is housed on, and it needs a lot of repairs. It's it's a bit of a wreck, but it's got so much history, and it's it's such a lovely story, and it's I think it's such a valuable part of this this country's culture. And they're looking for the uh, transmitter to be fully powered by solar panels. Uh, yes, uh, so that's going to yeah. what they yeah. hope uh, will make them greener. So can well, you- why they've not called them solar sails? I mean. Oh. <laughs> It's like... Come on, ChatGPT would have given you that that title. You can send them five quid and put that in the comments uh, on their on their crowdfunder. Uh, okay, question number two: uh, greener or not so green for Shell? Oh, they're not so green, aren't they? I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, Faraz. Faraz and 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 Shell are not so green. They're quite yellow and red, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Why are they uh, not so green? They got in trouble for some advert that they did where they basically said that Bristol is nice and green and clean because of Shell. And actually, that's not not quite true. Actually, I'm being quite cynical about this. I, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I don't want to say I'm on Shell's side. You but, put up big oil. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm basically big farmer. That's how I keep my company going. Because like, I'm actually funded by the Qatar. I'm not, I'm not going to finish that sentence. So you can decide your own thing. Um, but the... the, the the, the advert that got inverted commas banned, although hilariously, every time you ban an advert, it means it gets more viewers, which I always think is, you know, a bit self-defeating. But it said that Bristol is ready. You had a ready in big letters and then it said to go green. And yeah, so it kind of suggested that 
that meant that Shell had got it ready to go green, which they hadn't. And Shell are arguing, no, we're just saying that Bristol's using a lot of green energy, which means it's ready for the green switchover. Yes. It's a bit semantics. But the, the, the ASA um, said that they were emitting uh, to what extent they represented their overall activities. Yeah. Uh, it was the very polite way of saying they were lying. Uh, okay, uh, point <laughs> each. So question number three, uh, greener or not so green for The Guardian? Ooh. Ooh. Stumped. I'm, I'm just to break the deadlock. I'm going to say first. Not you're so going to say I'm going to say not so green. First I'm first going to say, say Faraz, Faraz, and then yes. I'm going to say not so green. Uh, incorrect. The oh, greener. The Guardian Media Group's uh, positive impact and sustainability report declares they have reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 30 percent over the past two years. I, I assume their own, not the country's. Uh, partly through <laughs> banning beef in the staff canteen, and I imagine declining print circulation as well. I mean, sure, it's recycled trees, isn't it? Yeah, must catch up on some light reading this evening. <laughs> over a burger, not over a burger, over a chicken burger. Uh, well, a point each, so a draw, so you get to uh, define you. the media podcast's new green strategy uh, no, for a later. It's, I think it should be your jumper colour. That's like, get on YouTube, see Matt's jumper. It's a pale green. I think that that's a good representation of uh, how green we are. Excellent YouTube likes. plug. Go and find our YouTube channel so you can see the wonder of my green jumper. Um, uh, thanks to our guests, uh, Faraz Osman and Ellie Khan. Where can listeners keep up with with the work that you're doing Ellie how can people see your writings um, broadcastnow.co.uk uh, we are behind a paywall so you might have to register or subscribe uh, for us uh, we've got a show coming out on channel 4 channel 4 is not currently under a paywall which is a good thing <laughs> uh, called uh, what's it called it's called Sounds Like the 80s um, with Ken Bruce we're very excited about it Ellie wrote a lovely piece about it and it's coming out at the end of this month um, and yeah other than that I'm just playing Zelda so if you're playing Zelda can you look me up on Instagram at Fosman and, and tell me about it because that's all I want to talk about is Zelda he was late for a broadcast event <laughs> and he admitted it was because he was playing Zelda did I? is that true? yes that's, that sounds like news. I think it was the day you received it in the post or something yeah. should we put your gamer tag in the, in the show notes so people can, can find you that way it's not, don't do gamer tags oh. on Nintendo honestly Matt get with the times uh, thank you both Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, if you're enjoying our new YouTube channel, uh, you'll know that the London Podcast Studios are the place to record your next podcast, complete with a full 4K rig and a fancy video wall to throw your artwork on. Just head to thelondonpodcaststudios.com. Uh, there's also a link in the show notes. And remember to keep spreading the good news about the media podcast to all your friends and colleagues in person or on social media. Uh, send anybody to podfollow.com slash the media podcast podcast and then we'll pop up in their podcast app of choice uh, my name is matt deegan the producer was matt hill it was a rethink audio production i'll see you next week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.